Well, it's good to see you this morning, and uh, yesterday was a beautiful day. I know that uh, many of you were engaged in uh, normal life activities. Maybe some of you were in the workplace, uh, others of you just uh, simply serving in the community, but for others of you, you were enjoying uh, youth sports of various kinds. You were working out in your gardens and your yard, uh, simply enjoying the sun, seeing uh, trees or flowers planted, uh, weeds pulled, and all of these kinds of things. Pretty ordinary life as you inhabit the inheritance that you have been given. And maybe for some of you, that's an inheritance that has been yours for generations here in this land. Maybe for others of you, it's something that's a sort of first-generation experience. But uh, there's a a beauty to the ordinariness of life in these kinds of ways. And uh, we're going to reflect on that to some extent here in Joshua chapter 21. So I invite you to turn your Bibles there, Joshua chapter 21, and in Chapter 21, we're going to get the last of the really long list of uh, names that may be unfamiliar to you, uh, such as we've seen many times over in this passage. Uh, We're in some ways coming to the conclusion of the book of Joshua. Uh, Chapters uh, 23 through 24 have some kind of closing events, uh, but we're going to see, as David already mentioned here, the uh, provision of cities given to the Levites who would inhabit the land. They didn't uh, receive uh, large tracts of land like others, but uh, they're needs uh, were to be provided for as well. And so that takes up the bulk of the chapter. But I want you to see the last three sentences or the last three verses rather before we read this. So just uh, drop down to verses 23 through, I'm sorry, verses 43 through 45. And your attention is to be drawn here because in many ways, uh, commentators have noted a couple of things. This is the theological heart of the book. It really is the summary of the whole book, and these three verses are a sort of reverse summary of everything that has come in the book up to this point. So you'll notice verse 43 says that the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. So here's the division of the land and people taking possession of it. This is a summary of chapters 13 through 21, the division of the land. Then if you look at verse 44, it says, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. That uh, describes chapters 2 through 12, when the people were uh, fighting the enemies who still existed in the land, and they were taking dominion of it. Uh, Of course, this verse doesn't mean that there were no enemies that were left in the land, but rather that the backbone of uh, the the people of Canaan had been broken and God had uh, given them rest from war. And so now the people were to take possession of the land and to continue uh, to take full possession of it. And then verse 45 uh, reflects chapter one of the book of Joshua. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed all came to pass. And you think back to all the promises that God gave to Joshua and to the people there in chapter one. So uh, this chapter uh, ends with this climactic summary. Uh, Some have compared it to being like uh, the end of Romans chapter 11, as uh, the apostle Paul has set forth the wonder of God's plan of salvation to his people, uh, and then acknowledges that from him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so then the question is, well, why is chapter 21 the the wrap-up of this taking possession of the land? 
uh, how is the content of chapter 21 going to help see that those, those promises uh, preserved and to continue to be fulfilled in coming generations. So I think uh, you'll see that as uh, we go through chapter 21 and then unfold it. Uh, but let's pray, and then we'll read the whole of the chapter and, uh, and then see it open. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all of your promises, which are yes and amen in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that not one word of all of your promises has failed, that you would give rest to your people that you would give us your inheritance, that you would give us even you yourself. So would you bless us as we read this passage now uh, and and bless it to our hearing, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This is God's word, Joshua chapter 21. Then the heads of the father's houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron, the priest, received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, 13 cities. And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. The Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan, thirteen cities. The Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, twelve cities. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the cities, which went to the descendants of Aaron, one of the clans of the Kohathites who belonged to the people of Levi, since the lot fell to them first. They gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, along with the pasture lands around it. But the fields of the city and its villages had been given to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. And to the descendants of Aaron, the priest, they gave Hebron, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands, Libna with its pasture lands, Jatir with its pasture lands, Estimoa with its pasture lands, Holon with its pasture lands, Debir with its pasture lands, An with its pasture lands, Jutta with its pasture lands, Beth Shemesh with its pasture lands, nine cities out of these two tribes. Then out of the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its pasture lands, Geba with its pasture lands, Anathoth with its pasture lands, and Almon with its pasture lands, four cities. The cities of the descendants of Aaron, the priests, were in all 13 cities with their pasture lands. As to the rest of the Kohathites, belonging to the Kohathite clans of the Levites, the cities allotted to them were out of the tribe of Ephraim. To them were given Shechem, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands in the hill country of Ephraim, Gezer with its pasture lands, Kibzaim with its pasture lands, Beth Horon with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Dan, Alteca with its pasture lands, Gibbethon with its pasture lands, Ijlon with its pasture lands, Gathrimon with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the half tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with its pasture lands, and Gethrimon with its pasture lands, two cities. 
The cities of the clans of the rest of the Kohathites were ten in all with their pasture lands. And to the Gershonites, one of the clans of the Levites, were given out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Golan and Bashan, with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer. And Bishtira, with its pasture lands, two cities, and out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishion, with its pasture lands, Debirath, with its pasture lands, Jarmuth, with its pasture lands, and Ganim, with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Asher, Mishal with its pasture lands, Abdon with its pasture lands, Helkath with its pasture lands, and Rehob with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Hamath Dor with its pasture lands, and Carton with its pasture lands, three cities. The cities of the several clans of the Gershonites were in all 13 cities with their pasture lands. And to the rest of the Levites, the Merarite clans, were given out of the tribe of Zebulun, Jachneum with its pasture lands, Karta with its pasture lands, Dimna with its pasture lands, Nahalal with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its pasture lands, Jahaz with its pasture lands, Kedamoth with its pasture lands, and Mephath with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth in Gilead with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Mahanim with its pasture lands, Heshbon with its pasture lands, Jazer with its pasture lands, four cities in all. As for the cities of the several Merarite clans, that is the remainder of the clans of the Levites, those allotted to them were in all 12 cities. The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it, So it was with all these cities. Thus, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed all came to pass. Thus ends this reading of God's holy word, which we pray he would write on our hearts today and forever. It was only a few short months ago that hundreds of thousands of people in Ukraine were leading ordinary, boring lives, simply settled in their cities and their pasture lands, going about life perhaps as you went about life yesterday. And all of that has changed. Hundreds of thousands are now refugees in other places. And they, in all likelihood, long for the kinds of boring lives that you and I have been able to lead these last few months. There is something beautiful about Rest when the Lord gives that to us. And what this passage teaches us is that the Lord's promise to give rest to his people had come to fulfillment. And with the uh, giving of the 21st chapter of the book of Joshua, we see that the people had received their inheritance and the Lord puts this punctuation marker on things to, to show that he had given each person a possession in the land that he had given rest from his enemies and that all of his promises had been fulfilled. There were no falling words of all the ones he had given them. 
They all came to pass. And God has given us as his people today an even greater fulfillment of these things as we've seen it in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us rest. He has given us peace in his son. And he's given us temporally here a place to live and a place to worship, a calling in life to continue to serve him. So he's given us rest. He's given us this kind of spiritual rest. The, the question for us as we look at a passage like this is, will we inhabit that rest? Will we claim our inheritance? Will we preserve that inheritance? And if so, how? How is it that the people of God preserve this inheritance that's been given to them? Well, it's no accident that the 21st chapter is the last in the division of the land and giving the people a place to settle. And we want to see how it is that uh, through the truth of this uh, chapter, we learn how it is that we're to embrace the rest that the Lord has given us and to see that preserved as we continue to look to him. So, as we come to the beginning of chapter 21, we see it's all about the Levites and they're looking for their inheritance. And we'll see how it is that the Lord uh, it causes them to lay claim to this. And it, it teaches us how it is that we're to embody, uh, to inhabit the land that he's given to us and to find and to preserve our rest. How does this happen? Well, first of all, we want to see that they simply believed God's word as we're called to do. And then secondly, that they put it into practice just as we're called to do. So it's a very simple outline. How is this rest to be claimed and preserved? Well, by belief and by practice. And we see the belief here, first of all, in these first three verses. Notice that the heads of the father's houses of the Levites, they all come to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua as they're gathered at Shiloh uh, where the tabernacle had been pitched and was uh, sort of the headquarters of the people as uh, they triumphed over the land in all of these battles. And they had been there as the land was being divided, everybody getting their particular plot of land. But the Levites have not yet uh, received an inheritance. And as you know, they were a special people. Why? They had been set apart to be those who would serve religiously. They were going to be the ones who were the, uh, the non-profit in the land, so to speak. Uh, they were the ones who would, would serve the Lord and to lead the people in this way. And it's worth just remembering how this came to pass. If you think back to Levi, one of the 12 sons of Judah, he was excluded from uh, this kind of inheritance because of what he and his brother Simeon had done in Genesis chapter 34. They, in seeking to protect their sister, had uh, slaughtered a number of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And their father Jacob said to them in Genesis 34 verse 30, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. And then in Genesis 49, when uh, the promises were being made to uh, the sons of Jacob by this man before he died, he said this, Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel, O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. 
And this had happened to the people of Simeon. They were scattered in the land that uh, the people of Judah received. And now we see the people of Levi being scattered in the land for a different purpose. Now, you're beginning to think about this. And you're beginning to realize that in the people of Levi, we have a beautiful picture of the gospel itself. Because what did Levi himself do? He he committed sin that made him an utter stench. But the Lord didn't leave him there. What did God do? God drew Levi and his descendants into the place of most intimate service to the Lord. And this is just a picture of what God does with all kinds of people who are sinners of the worst kind. People like you and me. You may feel far off. Well, this is how Levi would have felt. But miracle of miracles, he's drawn in to this closest of service to the Lord. And this came to pass uh, in part, the Lord setting them apart in history in Exodus chapter 32, because you remember the scene of the golden calf. And uh, the Lord through Moses, chastises Aaron and says, what have you done in creating this calf? Uh, This has to be dealt with. And so he asks the question, who is on the Lord's side? And the sons of Levi were the ones who came and they were the ones who put an end to the plague that day, uh, bringing justice by uh, uh, bringing death to those who were so committed in their idolatry to worshiping these false gods. And the Lord said this in Exodus 32, verse 29. Today, you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. This was the moment in which the Lord identified the people of Levi as those who were going to have this sort of special service in the land. And then Numbers chapter 3 clarifies it more. He says, I've taken the Levites from among the people of Israel uh, instead of the firstborn of, of everyone in the land. So I'm going to take one tribe of the 12 as uh, this firstborn possession for me, and they are going to serve. And you can read more about that in Numbers chapter uh, 3. And then in Numbers 35, the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan. So this was when they were just to the east of the river. And he gives these special instructions to Moses. And he says, command the people of Israel to give to the Levites some of the inheritance of the possession of their possession as cities for them to dwell in. And you shall give to the Levites pasture lands all around the city. So the Lord has set the Levites aside. He's given Moses this command. You're going to give them cities for their inheritance and the pasture lands just around that. Um, And what was the purpose of all of this? Well, we saw it in Joshua chapter 13, verse 14. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance As he said to them, there's a very unique way in which the Levites would have the Lord as their inheritance so that they might lead the rest of the people of Israel to the Lord on a regular basis. And so then we we see something more of the Lord's desire in all of this. Why did the Lord bring these things to pass? Well, it's because the Lord knew that what the people needed was more than simply to find their inheritance in the land and to sort of be set free for generation upon generation to take possession of that part of the earth. That would, in a sense, be to just go back to what God had promised Adam and his descendants, that they were to take possession of the whole earth, to fill it and to subdue it. But the problem, of course, for the people of Israel And for us today is that sin still exists in our hearts. 
And left to ourselves, we would end up being no better than the Canaanites who lived in the land beforehand, devolving into a pattern of sin and brokenness. And so what was the Lord's purpose here? In speaking this word, he's teaching the people that he's going to cause grace to be placed in the land as it is uh, taught through his word in these various cities through the people of Levi. In Leviticus chapter 26, we see something more of the Lord's desire. He says, you shall not make idols for yourself or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. God was going to put one place of worship, his central sanctuary in the land, so that people might come there for the feasts and for the sacrifices. But not everybody was going to be able to get there each week due to distance. And so what does the Lord do? He's promised that he's going to scatter the Levites through the land so that they might proclaim his word. And this is what God says is going to be the result there in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12. He says, and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. What is the mission that God has in the land? That he would walk among his people, that he would dwell among us that he would dwell among you as well. And what do we need to believe then? Well, we need to believe that that is indeed his purpose and that his calling then upon his people is that they would walk with him, that they would keep his ordinances, that they would claim his word. And isn't this what the Lord Jesus has done? He has come and he has pitched his tent among us. He's dwelt among us so that we might have life. And he has fulfilled everything that the priests and the Levites looked forward to as they offered sacrifices day by day and week by week. Jesus went to the cross as our sacrifice and he paid for our sins there. And then he was raised from the dead so that we might be united to him. And so that even today in this New Testament era, God might walk among us by his spirit that he would dwell in our midst and that we would know him wherever we live. Well, what is it if we're going to see our spiritual life sustained? If we're going to find true spiritual rest, what do we have to do? We need to follow the example of these Levites. Look again at verse uh, two. They came to Eliezer and the other leaders, and they said, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in. They believed God's word. We've read these other words from the Pentateuch. And you note from this, by the way, that they already acknowledged and received the first five books of the Bible as the word of God, even in that day. They believed it to be true, and they came to the Lord to claim their inheritance. So what is it that we need to do if we're going to believe God's word? Well, they knew what it said. How were they able to come and to lay claim to the promises that had been given to them? They'd paid attention. They'd listened. They'd read. 
And how would we know what we are to believe if we don't follow their example and know what the word of God says? We're going to grow in this, of course, as we hear it preached, as we read it ourselves, as we take it to heart, and as we simply meditate on it day and night. This takes us back to the very command that God had given Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, that he would meditate on this word day and night. And it would be as he did that, that he would have good success. How is it, children and young people, that you're going to have success in the land that you're going to enjoy the kind of rest that your God has given you. It's as you meditate upon the word of God, as you enjoy your union with Jesus Christ, the word incarnate who has given himself for you. It's not until we hear and know and meditate on and take in and realize in that ultimate sense the promises of God that we're going to know how it is that we ought to live. So this is the first step if we're going to believe the word of God. We have to know it. A second step toward believing it is we've got to pray those promises back to God. This is what we see happening here in verse 2. They go to God, they say, here were the promises you made, now fulfill them. And this is a second aspect of belief. It's that we would pray, that we would talk to God. These are basic things, aren't they? This isn't rocket science, but we hear the word and then we respond in prayer as we lay claim to the promises that the Lord had given to his people. And if you have never prayed before, you can rest assured that God is ready to hear your prayer even today. When we gather here for prayers as a congregation or when we do this in our homes, it is not a mere transaction where we're asking God to just give us stuff. No, we are engaging in transactions of eternal significance as we enjoy the one who has made us and who has redeemed us and who walks among us, who holds our hand, who carries us in his arms like the little lambs that we are. This is an expression of our belief. And it's why you, brothers and sisters, do pray. And it's why you need to continue to pray and to pour out your hearts to the Lord. And it's as you do that, that your rest will be preserved because we're looking to the one who has given us that rest and who has given us our inheritance. So we're called, first of all, to believe the word of God. Secondly, these things have to be put into practice, which is what we see in verses 4 through 42. It would be absurd for you to go because you've got a project that you're working on in your home and uh, you're, you're getting ready to renovate the inside uh, to go to various home improvement stores and to uh, look at the products that they have and believe that this would transform your kitchen and then to go ahead and to ask for those products to uh, sign a contract to have all those delivered to your home and then to have them all delivered and just have them sit there and do nothing with them. I mean, this would be the height of foolishness. People would wonder, what is wrong with you? And hopefully you would wonder the same thing. So verses 4 through 42, they put these things into practice. These cities were divided for the people. Uh, 
As we see here in uh, verses uh, 4 through 7, we see the basic division of the land, uh, of the cities throughout the land. Now, you'll notice that there were three sons of Levi, uh, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. So there are these three different groups of Levites. Uh, Those three sons of Levi are mentioned in Genesis chapter 46, verse 11. And one of the things that's quite fascinating is that uh, these tribes, uh, or these clans rather, of the tribe of Levi had had particular functions around the tabernacle in the years of wandering in the wilderness. And the functions were these, the the Gershonites, we learn this from Numbers chapter 3, they dwelt west of the tabernacle. And their job was to handle the, uh, the software of the tabernacle. That is all the hangings, uh, the, the, uh, uh, various curtains that went around the tabernacle. And uh, the, so the tabernacle, you'll recall, was right in the center of the people of Israel. And then the 12 tribes were uh, positioned around it. But immediately around the tabernacle, you had the Levites. And so uh, the Gershonites were there as uh, software managers uh, on the west side. And then the Kohathites were on the south side of the tabernacle. And they cared for all of the instruments in the Holy of Holies. Uh, they would be responsible for moving them as they moved from one location to the next. And then the Merarites were on the north side of the tabernacle and they were the hardware specialists. Uh, they handled all of the, the, the joints and the, the various pieces that held up the tent and so forth and so on. And then on the east side of the tabernacle were uh, Aaron and his family, the priests, who were the ones that would actually help to carry out the functions of the, the tabernacle worship. All of this was uh, given to them through uh, those years of wandering in the wilderness. Now, one of the things I think is that's kind of interesting here is that now these people who had had these very particular functions were all going to be scattered through the land. Uh, they're going to be scattered to a variety of cities. And if you've ever been that person who had a particular job and you realized your job was becoming obsolete or you've worked with somebody like this and it was time for them to give up that job and they didn't know how to do that, they, they couldn't bear to give up that peace, which to them was so central to their identity. The Levites are a good lesson for us. Sometimes God changes our task and we have to transition into something new in life. But the Lord is always at work for the good of his people and it will work out. So no matter how much AI advances, for instance, don't worry. There will always be plenty for people to do. There may be ethical questions that have to be asked as uh, this sort of artificial intelligence comes to pass and it takes away certain jobs that people have performed uh, in times past. But we can rest. Why? Because we know that our lives are not the stuff of this world. Our jobs are not what define us or our positions. But rather, we are defined by our union with the living God. And he has as his mission to dwell in our midst so that we would be changed. And because he's a God who changes us, guess what? Things in life are going to change. And so we ought to learn from the Levites here that there will come times of change as we put God's word into practice. And and we will be sometimes shaken to the very core, but God will never leave us nor forsake us. And he always has something better for us. So what is it that happens then? Well, uh, the Kohathites, they get 13 cities for, their pre, uh, for the priests uh, who were a subset of that family. They get 10 for the rest of them. The Gershonites get 13 cities and the Merarites get 12 cities and they get the pasture lands around the cities, right? So that their animals will have a, a place to go. W- what is the vision? What's going on here as 
the land is divided uh, uh, through these cities. Well, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 10, that God's purpose for all of this was so that the Levites would teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. God knows how humans function. He's scattered people through the land, and he wants his people to be instructed in the word of God so that they wouldn't forget him. And these Levites would, of course, lead the Sabbath services as the people were called to reverence God's Sabbath day and to keep, uh, to keep his Sabbaths. So the Levites in these different places would have been the gathering places for the people of God to come together and worship. And you understand the practical import of this, don't you? If we're going to enjoy the rest that God has given us, we have to lead well-ordered lives with an appropriate focus on the spiritual needs of our families and the people around us. And so how does this happen? Well, it happens through some basic maintenance. God gave 48 cities and he appointed Levites to go to those places. How does God do this today? He has appointed churches to be established, leaders to be elected to serve in those places. And in the case of some of those leaders, that they would be the ones who preach the word. And so this is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And that Paul teaches the same in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So what's an application of this passage? Well, it's that we should be about the work of maintaining the church that Jesus has established. Her ordinances, uh, even things like the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we'll celebrate here today. That comes at some expense for you as the people of God. And you are a congregation who is known for providing well for your pastors and for sustaining the work that goes on here in the house of God. This doesn't mean that our life is insignificant beyond the church, but actually as We see our lives well-ordered around the means of grace that the Lord gives us. It teaches us, it instructs us, it disciples us to see that there's not one square inch of all the land that God has given us over which he does not say, I'm Lord and it is mine. And so you see, there's this, this beautiful work that the Lord is doing here in chapter 21. He's saying to the people of Israel, you want to enjoy the peace that I've given you? then you need to remember what I've done for you. You need to remember the sacrifice that I've provided so that your sins might be forgiven. You need to remember on a weekly basis and even a daily basis all the truth of my word so that you can go back out into all the land and make disciples and to be fruitful and to multiply and to take possession of it. And where the house of God falls into disrepair and where his word is not believed and not practiced, what happens? We see every evil thing beginning to happen and cultures spiral and they fall apart. And so God is given in this boring passage a very great uh, and real promise to us, a promise of rest as we would enjoy his means of grace and as we would commit ourselves to providing for and protecting uh, the house of the Lord. Well, the the Lord has uh, given all of these things and he gave all of these cities. And uh, again, as uh, Ralph Davis has said, the the, the Levites in a sense become for the people of God a sort of enacted parable. They received an inheritance, but their inheritance wasn't the land. 
their inheritance was God himself and the sacrifices. And why did this parable need to exist in the land? Well, it was so that all of the people of Israel could remember on a weekly basis as they would gather together for services and as they would remember the sacrifices that were needed, that ultimately the stuff of this world is not what their life consists of and that the world is not their home, but rather that we're all part of this parable and that we all claim the promise of Psalm 16 in which we say, the Lord is my portion and my cup. And so when we come to verses 43 through 45 then, what is it that should fill our hearts? What should fill our hearts is a sense of awe that the Lord has given us rest, that he's given us a place in the land, that he's given us places for worship, that he's given us the opportunity to have well-structured lives in which we are constantly meditating on the word of God. We're drawing together as the people for worship. Then we're scattering back through the land through the course of the rest of the week so that we might be fruitful and multiply there and then coming back together once again to rejoice in our rest that comes through the sacrifice that God has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us rest on every side. Do we want to lay claim to that rest? Yes, you do. And yes, I do. Not as a matter of mere form so that we can check boxes. But what's the goal? The goal is fellowship with the living God who has given us his word that never fails but always comes to pass. Those people in Ukraine, they're scattered from their homes now. They're longing for that kind of rest. And you and I are enjoying it temporally here now. But those people are looking forward to going back to their homes someday. And we, as well, ought to be looking forward to going to our eternal home as well. Recognizing that as much as we taste and see the good things of this life, there is something greater, something deeper, and even something more fulfilling than what we experience here. And that is perfect fellowship with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a place where there is no sin, in a place where every tear has been wiped away, and all sorrow has been banished. And that's what we look forward to as we gather together, as we believe the word of God, as we seek to put it into promise, and as we lay hold of this rest that the Lord has given to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us uh, our inheritance pictured in the giving of the land, pictured in the scattering of the Levites through the land so that they might lead well-ordered lives that revolve around you, the living God. And we thank you that you've brought all of these promises to completion in Jesus Christ, the one who is our yes and amen. And we thank you that he's given himself to us so that even as we come to his table, we are able to lay claim to these same promises and to know that not one of your words has ever failed. Not one has fallen to the ground, but that you have fulfilled them all. They've all come to pass. So give us grace, Lord, to lay hold of you by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.